Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 to 6. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. Moving forward to Revelation chapter 18, verses 9 to 20. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendours are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls, for in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas! For the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. 
Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. And finally, Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with, with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us re rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Amen. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. You've got a good memory. You might be able to remember that that cry was uh, on the lips of an angel way back in chapter 14 of Revelation. And what John heard called out back then, he now sees displayed uh, before his eyes. Babylon's fall. That's what this uh, great vision is about. Now, you'll have picked up that it's a long vision, uh, three chapters or two and a half. Uh, probably, the, I think, the longest one in the whole of the book. And uh, we've only read excerpts from those three chapters just to give us a flavour of what each chapter uh, is talking about. We haven't got time to go through all of the verses. I encourage you uh, to do that uh, this evening and just uh, really kind of uh, embed it in your mind. My task this evening is to give you the sweep of the story, the sweep of uh, this whole vision from beginning to end, and the, and the big principles uh, that there are in these uh, passages uh, for us as a church of Jesus Christ. Now, the big picture of these three chapters is picked out on the insert on the inside of the service sheet. 
it's really going to help you to have a Bible open in front of you. We're going to focus on those three readings that we've had, but we will dip into some of the other verses in these chapters just to help us understand um, what's going on. So if you've got a Bible or if you've got it on your phone, uh, that'd be really helpful um, for you. What we're going to see is chapter 17, Babylon introduced. Chapter 18, Babylon falls. And chapter 19, heaven rejoices. That's the big sweep. Babylon's introduced, Babylon falls, and heaven rejoices. Let me pray as we look at this together. These are the very first words of the book of Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Our Father, we thank you for these words which promise us blessing as we look at this book of the Bible And we thank you that, therefore, this evening we will be blessed by you as we hear uh, what your word says. But we do want to be the people who keep what is written in it as well. So please would you change our hearts where we need changing. Please would you give us courage. Please would you give us the steel and the strength uh, to keep following Jesus all the way to the end. In his name we pray. Amen. So chapter 17, verses 1 to 6, we see Babylon introduced. And the vision picks up where the last vision left off, uh, which is uh, what Scott was talking to us about last week. There were seven angels who had seven bowls, bowls of God's wrath. So verse 1, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, that's John, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. John is shown a woman, and she's beautiful. She's dressed in rich clothing, in purples and in scarlet. She has precious jewellery that enhances her beauty, And later on in the vision, to get into chapter 18, we're told that she glorifies herself and lives in luxury. She says of herself, I sit as a queen. And in verse 1, we're told that her throne, she's seated on many waters. That is, she has power over many places. This woman is highly attractive. And even the Apostle John, when he sees her, marvels at her. End of verse 6. But this beauty rides a beast. She sits upon the beast of the earlier visions uh, from chapter 13. A grotesque and powerful creature with seven heads and ten horns and full of blasphemous names. In her hand, she holds a golden cup. But when John peers into the cup, he sees the abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. 
Her name is Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations, and she is horrifyingly drunk on the blood of the saints, reveling in the knowledge of those who have died for being faithful to Jesus. Now this, of course, is symbolic language of the kind that we've seen throughout the book of Revelation. Who is this woman? Well, she's Babylon. But what does that mean? Well, once again, as we've seen all the way through, as we've gone through this book, the knowledge, our knowledge of the Old Testament will really help us to understand what's going on uh, in all these things. In the Old Testament, Babylon is the city that is anti-God and anti-God's people. Its first appearance is in Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, if you remember that story, Babel, Babylon. That city was built in defiance of God's instructions. The people gathered together and they, they sought to make a name for themselves. They sought their own glory instead of God's glory. And so they built this great tower. They are anti-God. The next appearance of Babylon, the major appearance of Babylon, comes during the time of the kings. And if you remember the story, Babylon's great king is Nebuchadnezzar. And his armies are sent into Israel to destroy it. And that's what they do. They destroy God's city, Jerusalem. They destroy the temple. And they carry uh, the survivors and the riches that they've plundered back to their empire, back to their city, to Babylon. They're exiled. Babylon at the time of these events is at the heart of the greatest empire on earth and arguably the greatest empire that the world has ever known. The city was famous for its opulence. It was a centre of wealth. It had great marketplaces. The riches of the empire were flooding into it from, uh, through trade and through conquest. It was a city of sensual pleasures, of sexual indulgence, of luxurious living. And it was a centre of idol worship too. Great temples everywhere to pagan gods. And God's exiled people were forced by the state of Babylon to make their home in that city, in the midst of that anti-God society. And that was a calculated plan on their behalf. The reason that Babylon did that to its captives was so that they would be compromised, so that they would be assimilated into that culture Babylon's aim was to seduce God's people to their way of life and therefore eradicate their distinctiveness. This is what's in view here in Revelation, in this use of Babylon as imagery. Babylon represents the world, the world that is anti-God and anti-God's people, but in particular, it represents the world that seeks to seduce and compromise God's people into becoming like everybody else. She is the world that wants God's people to get into bed with her. There are several references to sexual immorality in these first few, few verses. And, and throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, sexual immorality is connected to idolatry. Babylon presents wealth and luxury 
and pleasure to human beings. She sells herself to them as being able to meet all their deepest desires. She presents her idols in the most attractive way possible and seduces people into worshipping them instead of worshipping the one true God. Now let's be honest with ourselves. The world is highly attractive to us. Even to the most devout believer in Jesus. Even to the apostle. Which of us doesn't want wealth? Which of us doesn't want comfort and luxury? Which of us doesn't want pleasure? She whispers to us, live for the moment. Indulge yourself. Spend yourself in sensuality. That's what life is all about. She says, gain as much wealth as you can, however you can. That's how you'll be content. That's what will make you happy. And the really scary thing is, is that it's not just people out there who have fallen for her charms. In many cases, the church is getting into bed with Babylon. And we are so easily seduced, aren't we? See, this is Babylon. This is what it is today. And this is what it was in John's day and what it was in the Old Testament. It was the world seeking to seduce us into its values and its way of life. And there's a huge warning for us here in this passage, isn't there? Do not be taken in by her charms, because under her lies the beast, and the beast wants to devour us. See, the world in in all its wealth and its luxury and its uh, pleasures, it has underneath it satanic power. That's what this is teaching. See, the world promises all these things to us. It promises us this life and luxury and pleasure. It promises that to seduce us to worship the world's idols. And Satan is using the world to draw us away from God to worship those things. But as we go on into into, uh, John's vision in in Revelation 17, in verse 7, he gets a big warning. He must not be seduced by her charms. He must take his gaze off of her and look at the beast that she rides See, her glitter and her glamour, if you like, are something of a distraction for what's really going on, for the real danger underneath. Satan's working through the powers of this world and he seeks to destroy God's people. We haven't got time to go through the rest of chapter 17, but let me describe what happens there. Uh, The angel describes what's going on. It's really vivid imagery He takes us to the conclusion of all things, to the very end of history. And the beast is described here. And what the beast does towards the end of history is at the height of Babylon's influence, he collects together the powers and the animosities of the enemies of God for one final assault on God and his people. Just a couple of verses just to help us to see that. Verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. 
He was, that is, he had power on the earth. Then he was not. He was defeated by the cross and his power was restrained. That's the time that we live in now. And we we thought about that when we looked at uh, chapter 13. But he is about to rise, end of verse 8. So what this is teaching is that just before the end, just before the end of history when Jesus returns, Satan will be released from his restraints and he will come back in force seeking vengeance. But we're not to be afraid of that because it is only for his complete destruction. Satan's going to be given a short leash. He'll gather the world that's in hostility to God and attempt one last power grab, but it will be short-lived. Just a final hour, a short time. And he doesn't stand a chance. Verse 14 says this, They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And those with him are called chosen and faithful. Babylon and the beast will fall to the Lamb. That takes us into our second point, the fall of Babylon, and particularly in chapter 18, although actually it begins in chapter 17, uh, verse 15 and 16. Now the way that Babylon falls is described here, and, and it perhaps sounds unusual to us to start with. It's described as an internal collapse, a kind of civil war where the enemies of God turn in on themselves and destroy each other. What this is describing is that at the end, the great powers, the the military power of the state, the the power of false religion, and the worldly power of, of decadent prosperity, they will turn in on themselves and eat each other alive. That God will destroy his enemies in this way. Now, actually, that makes sense historically as to how the empires of this world have been destroyed. Often they do um, destroy themselves. They, they have internal collapses rather than um, enemies from outside. Rome certainly uh, is an example of that. But here God says that the world systems as a whole, when the day of judgment comes, in that final hour, will turn in on themselves to their own destruction. That the world will fall under the judgment of the Lamb. Now, Revelation's asking us this question. As we consider the fall of the world, the collapse of the world, at the end of history, how do we respond? How are we responding to what we've heard about the fate of this world? Chapters 18 and 19 give two possible responses to the fall of the world. And it's either lament or rejoice. Lament or rejoice. The question it's posing to us is this. When the world falls, will we lament or will we rejoice? In chapter 18, we hear the lament. Babylon is made a desolate wasteland. Her wealth disappears to dust. 
And the people of God, they're told in verse 4 to pay attention to that, to realise that, therefore, they must not be partners with Babylon because it will all turn to dust in the end. God says to them in verse 4, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. The people of God are warned, don't be associated with Babylon when she falls. Come out of her, or you will face her fate. And then we have this reading that we had from chapter 18, verses 9 to 20. We hear three great songs of woe, three cries of distress from various inhabitants of the earth uh, when they see Babylon fall. And we're going to look at them together. I'm going to read them out. And just as I do, listen out for the repetition, for the repeated words and phrases in each of the songs. So woe number one is verse 9 and 10, and we hear the king's singing first. Verse 9. The kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. So they lament for themselves for their source of wealth and luxury has gone. The power that she gave them to live as they want to live has gone up in smoke. So that's the king's lament. Then we get the merchant's lament. And they too lament the, the source of their wealth disappearing. They see it as a great waste. See that great list of luxury item, luxury goods in verses 11 to 13. But then listen to the song in verse 15. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. Kings, the merchants, and now the shipmasters and sea traders. Verse 17, halfway through verse 17. And all the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she has been laid waste. See the similarities? The repetition is teaching us the great city, the source of worldly wealth, will all be gone in just an hour. At the end, just before the return of Jesus, the great financial might of the earth, the economic prosperity of the world, her extravagance and her pleasures will go up in smoke in just an hour. Babylon will fall. 
And those who love her, those whose lives are given over to her, those who trust in her for their wealth and luxury, they will weep and wail for her loss. For in her loss, they will see everything they have built their lives upon come crashing down. Now just look closely at their responses. Notice what they do and what they don't do. They lament, but what they do not do is repent. They lament, but don't repent. In the end, they mourn the loss of the worldly city, but they do not seek the heavenly one. They mourn their loss, but they do not seek salvation from Jesus Christ. Instead, in the destruction of Babylon, they are only sorry for their own demise. So hard are their hearts towards God. And I think that that is important for us as the people of God to hear. If you give your heart to the world now, there will come a point when it is too late for you to repent. In John Bunyan's great work, Pilgrim's Progress, he picks up this kind of thing with his character Backslider. Backslider's a man trapped in an iron cage. And despite the judgment that's come upon him, he tells Christian, I have so hardened my heart that I cannot repent. Loving the world now is desperately dangerous. Seeking worldly wealth, buying into the world's values of these things, getting into bed with the world, will harden your heart. And it will harden your heart so much that when these things go up in smoke at the end, when Jesus brings the world to a close, repentance will not enter your mind. Those who love the world will only lament at what they've lost. They will not repent and turn to Christ for salvation. And that's why the voice from heaven in chapter 18, verse 4, is so important for us to hear. She calls to us now, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. We must repent of our love for the world now, We cannot leave it any longer, for we may leave it too late. Babylon will fall, and those who love her will fall with her. Brings us to the third part of our vision. We've seen Babylon introduced, seen Babylon fall, and we've seen the first response to her fall, that of lament. But there is another response. How does heaven respond to Babylon's fall? And the answer is in chapter 19. Heaven rejoices. It begins actually as as the last bit did in the previous chapter. It begins in chapter 18, verse 20, the last verse um, that's printed in chapter 18. It begins with a call of an angel. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, For God has given judgment for you against her. 
Now, just, just imagine um, for a moment that this vision is a musical or, or an opera, something like that, and you're in the audience, you're looking at the stage. You see in the centre of the stage uh, the scene of Babylon's smoke. You see it desolate and smoke rising, and you see clumps of the, the singers gathered round. You see the kings and you see the merchants and you see the ship and, and seafarers, and they're singing their songs of lament in turn. Um, over Babylon's smoking ruins. But then from the heights at the back of the stage, overlooking the scene of destruction, there comes the notes of a different song. A choir appears and is singing sweetly and their voices drown out the laments as they sing louder and louder and louder as they enter the scene. And what do they sing? They sing a word repeated, a word from the Psalms, which is mentioned only here in the New Testament. Hallelujah. 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 As we enter chapter 19, we hear the songs of heaven's rejoicing over Babylon's fall. The hallelujahs ring out from heaven's throne room. Chapter 19, verse 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. The people of God, those redeemed through the cross of Jesus Christ, as they witness the fall of the world, rejoice. They sing hallelujah, praise the Lord. And why do they rejoice? Well, the answer is in the first song. They rejoice because justice has been done. Babylon's twin sins, her corruption of the earth through her seductive pleasures and her violent opposition to God's people have been avenged by the Lamb. She gets what she deserves and the people of God are free from her at last. Their exile is over. And that indeed is the great source of rejoicing for us as the people of God. But there's one greater hallelujah still to come. One greater source of heaven's rejoicing. Listen in verse 6 to the increase in volume from the heavenly choir. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, 
Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Here's the greater song. We have two contrasting futures, don't we, in, these, in this great vision. We have Babylon on the one hand, one woman, dressed in her seductive clothing, and she perishes under the wrath of the Lamb. The world is judged by Jesus and goes up in smoke. And that is her just end. She was the enemy of God and his people, and she is no more. And her fall is a cause for rejoicing. But there's another woman who enters the scene. The bride of the Lamb appears, the church of Jesus Christ. And she's dressed in bright robes of righteousness. And if we look in verse 8, we see that these robes are not robes of her own. They're robes that have been granted to her to wear. They've been given to her as a gift from her husband. She's lived in them. She's not corrupted herself. She stayed pure. And here we see her walking down the aisle, and she is radiant. Her wedding day has come, and her bridegroom awaits her to wed her and to celebrate with her in the wedding feast to end all wedding feasts. What a thing to be a part of. Verse 9, the angel said to John, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Here we are then at the end of this vision. Let's just think about what we've seen. We've seen Babylon introduced, the world in its seductive power with its wealth and its pleasures. We've seen the beast that Babylon rides, the the satanic power that's lying underneath her, that's seeking to destroy while we're distracted by her charms. And then we've seen Babylon fall and the lament of those who love her. We've heard the warning of the angel, don't fall for her charms, stay pure, stay holy. And then finally, we've seen the glorious future of the people of God, those who stay faithful to Christ. We've seen the wedding of the Lamb and his bride, Jesus united in eternity to the people that he has clothed in his righteousness. That's what we've seen. Now what should our response be to these things? Two things. The first is this, it's repentance. We must repent now of our love of this world. We must turn from our love of wealth and of luxury and of pleasure. We must confess the waywardness of our hearts to God and return to him for mercy. We must love Christ alone with all our hearts Otherwise, the warning from this passage is really clear that in the end, all we will do is lament as we share Babylon's fate. So repent, that's the first response for us. The second response, though, must be this, worship. 
That's actually how the vision ends. Two verses that we didn't look at, verses 9 and 10. Second part of verse 9, the angel says to John, look, these are the true words of God. You can trust what you've heard and seen. And John, he's a bit sort of blown away. He's, he's kind of overawed by what he's seen. He seems a bit confused. And in verse 10, he falls down at the angel's feet to worship him. The angel says to him, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. John's instinct to worship is the right one, but he's directed it to the wrong person. The angel says, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. See, John's worship is to be directed to God, to Jesus, the one whom this prophecy is all about. Jesus is the one who brings about Babylon's fall. Jesus is the one who gifts his bride the clothes of righteousness. Jesus is the one to wed her and rejoice with her for eternity. Jesus is the one that the hallelujah songs are all about. Worship him. That's got to be our response. Let's do that as we pray together as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great vision that we have seen. But as we look at it, Lord, we are convicted in our own hearts that our love for the world is too strong. Lord God, forgive us, we pray, and change our hearts that we would no longer love this world and its values and its delights and pleasures and all these things that it offers us but that our hearts would be solely committed and in love with Jesus. Change us, we pray. Lord God, too, as we look at this wonderful passage and we see that the end of this world and your righteous judgment upon your enemies, and as we see the glorious future of the people of God to be at the wedding supper of the Lamb, we do rejoice and we do worship you for all that you have done to secure that for us. Thank you that those who trust in the Lamb of God have their sins forgiven and an eternal future as his bride. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.